Hey guys, uh, we are so glad that you are here. It is a special day. We're excited about baptism. And also, let me just say, um, I don't know what's going on. Nobody was in the mic today. I don't know if it's because of Super Bowl or we got to get out. But come on. Would you just confess with me, this is the most un-Super Bowl Sunday ever? Does anybody really care about Cincinnati? And I don't, who else is in it? Oh, that wasn't a joke. I can't remember. Who, was, who, who, who else? Oh, that's why. I've mentally blocked them out about 10 years ago or 12. Yeah. 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 In fact, um, just full confession, I do have some hate in my heart, and that is towards Cronky. And me and Jesus are working on that. It's just a long process. Carol, it's so good to have you back with us. Carol's been out for quite a while with COVID, and, and we're thankful that she's back with us. I think we're finally starting to get our COVID people back. <laughs> um, and so let's just continue. Hey, listen, let's continue. If you got your Bibles, go to Matthew 4. But let's continue to pray for the Chapman family. When we hear arrangements today or tomorrow, we'll get that out on our page as soon as possible. I'm sure the funeral and the visitation and everything will be in Fredericktown, just about an hour south of here if anybody wants to to go and pay the respects. Yeah, so Matthew chapter four, and as you're getting there, let me just kind of get us caught up in the text. Um, I won't do this every week because we're kind of turning a page really uh, in, in, in our series. Um, Matthew begins his letter in chapter one by introducing Jesus to his audience through um, his genealogy. If you remember back that far, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but uh, Matthew intentionally connects Jesus to not only the throne of David, but also all the way back to the father of their faith, Abraham, which was important for Matthew to do to prove that Jesus was the true Messiah to his original audience, Jewish audience, because they knew that this true Messiah would come from the lineage of Abraham and would come from the throne of David. And so Matthew just kind of traces that all the way back to prove that, in fact, Jesus did. And then in the rest of chapter one, Jesus speaks into the birth uh, of Jesus from Joseph's perspective. Uh, the birth of Jesus might have been a silent, holy night, but um, leading up to his birth was anything but from Joseph's perspective. If you remember, there was lots of drama and confusion surrounding that first Christmas. And then we get into chapter two, Jesus is born and we immediately start to see how polarizing this one baby boy can really be because we have wise men traveling long, dangerous distances to come bow a knee and worship this, this baby that's the king of the Jews, this newborn king. And then yet we have others we have earthly kings that are strategizing how they're going to kill this baby. And then from chapters two to chapter three, there's about 30 years that pass. And in chapter three, we're introduced to Jesus's cousin, John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And he is fulfilling prophecy by preparing the way for the Lord, by preaching a message of repentance and turn to God. And again, we see this, some are accepting that message, some are rejecting this message. And those who accept it, we're seeing them repent and be baptized to show their commitment to God. And then Jesus shows up on the shore there, right? Not only approving of John's work, to be, but also to be baptized by John himself. Not because Jesus needed to 
be baptized. Jesus didn't need to turn to God because he was God. Jesus being baptized was God turning back to us and symbolizing this exchange of his righteousness for our unrighteousness, our sin through his son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is baptized at the end of chapter three. The Holy Spirit falls and rest on him, and the Father from heaven speaks with an audible voice, just affirming his Son, in whom he is well pleased. And then verse, or chapter 4, verse 1, then immediately, this is where we were last week, Jesus in chapter 4 is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, and Jesus defeats every attempt that Satan throws at him, demonstrating on a small scale a very big biblical truth that even though Jesus was indeed tempted as we are tempted, he did so without sinning, which is great news for us because we are sinners and we need a perfect savior and we are only found blameless before God through the blameless, perfect life Jesus lived on our behalf. And so now, here we are in chapter four, and Jesus' ministry is officially beginning. We're going to pick it up in verse 12. Let's start there, chapter four, verse 12 together. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth, then left there and moved to Capernaum, because the sea, or beside the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who have lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. Two quick observations for over here because I'm not coming back to some of this text. So I'll make some commentary as we go. The first one here is this. I just... I just want us to understand, we've already seen it so much leading up to chapter four, but even here in chapter four and going forward throughout the entire gospels, Jesus's entire life, he was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. More prophecy fulfilled here from Jesus just moving north north from Judea to Galilee. But when you read all of the prophecies of the Bible, you simply just have to kind of stand in awe because the Bible is the only book in the world that has accurate prophecy in it. Can I just give you one example? This is so just mind-blowing to me. In Psalm 22, listen to the psalmist in Psalm 22. My life is poured out like water and my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all of my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. The psalmist writes that. Now, what, what's he prophesying here? Yeah, the crucifixion. Listen, Psalm 22 was written 900 years before Jesus would even be born. And this description of crucifixion here is quite interesting because crucifixion hadn't even been invented yet as a form of execution. And yet the psalmist is just speaking these words of hands, pierced and feet and the, his People who read that might go, what? 
And yet 900 years later, it would begin to make sense. And that's just one prophecy. There are over 300 precise prophecies that deal with the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament that is fulfilled by Jesus in the New Testament. To say these are just by chance, impossible, impossible. Nope, Jesus is exactly who he claims to be. He is the son of God come to walk among us. The second thing, and I don't, this point might just leave a little tension in the room, and I promise we're going to come back to it in about Matthew 9, 10, somewhere in there. But Jesus distances himself from John. Did, did you catch that? John is arrested for the first time. There's probably two arrests. This isn't probably the, the famous one that we'll get to a little later on. This is probably Jesus, John being baptized, or baptizing and preaching the gospel and, and being arrested there. But it says when Jesus heard that John was imprisoned, now look at me in case you don't know, because I didn't know until I looked at a map. <laughs> Jesus went from John being arrested in Judea, Jesus went from Judea to Galilee. And that just seems odd to me, because Jesus loved John. They were family. Jesus approved of John's message and his ministry. And when we think of Jesus, we think he's going to run to those imprisoned He's going to run to John and he's going to comfort John, but he moves farther away from John. That can certainly sound like some of our experiences too. I just, I wanted to, to bring this up because we think sometimes that God should be moving for us and towards us and on our behalf. And, and yet he seems so distant and maybe even uncaring in our minds. So here's the question. And then I'm going to walk away from it. We'll come back later. What do we do when God's not doing what we think he should be doing? What are we to do when God's not doing what we think God should be doing? And we're just going to let that question kind of hang in the tension because we will come back to it a little bit later in Matthew. But he continues in, in 417, in verse 17, from then on, Jesus began to What? Preach. What's the message? Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Here's my point. Ministry is not ministry absent from the preaching of the gospel. This is where we get into trouble with social justices because the church wants to go and help fulfill lots of needs in the community, which we are called to do. But without the preaching of the gospel, in the meeting of the needs, it's not ministry, it's just good deeds. And anybody can do that. The church hasn't been called to good deeds. The church has been called to good deeds with the gospel of God's goodness preached over it. And so we have got to keep that in mind. And the message hasn't changed from John to Jesus, has it? And newsflash, it's the same Message today, repent, turn to God, for Jesus has come to us. Verse 18, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once. I love that. And they followed him. A little farther along the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. And they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. 
these men, I, it's just so eye-catching to me that these men were willing to leave everything to follow Jesus. There is no debate here. You can read other scripture where Jesus invited people to come and they debate, let me go bury the, let me go take care of the, let me go. And Jesus is like, no, man, hey, let's go. You're either with me. Nobody looking back fit to, right? We'll probably talk about that some more later too. These men left everything to follow Jesus. It's a picture of what true discipleship looks like even today. Look at me. Discipleship is not a class. You can't go sit in a class and let a pastor or a priest confirm you into discipleship. Discipleship is a, is a lifestyle where we've chosen to submit all that we are to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 23, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing, announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. How cool would that have been to get to experience? <laughs> Large crowds followed him wherever he went, of course, <laughs> right? We have a great crowd here today. We start raising paralyzed epileptics and we start healing those who are sick with disease. This place will be overflowing. We'll have to open the windows and they'll be listening from the grassy knoll. They began to follow him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, from the east of the Jordan River. These miracles, man, this passage, these miracles here, I think, teaches us four things. Number one, our Lord's power. He could, he who could heal sick people with a touch and cast out devils with a word is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him. We serve a mighty God, church. He can do anything. I got to spend some time, I'm, I'm gonna ramble, I apologize. I know we gotta hurry. We gotta be out by 5.30, I think that's game time. Um, I got to spend some time this week with, with about 12 other pastors from around the country and got to meet some new friends. One of them is a judge in Texas and what was funny is he, he got to drive around with me some and I kept running stop signs. I'm like, hey judge, how's that make you feel? <laughs> As we're running all these stop signs, he goes, oh, well, it's not my courtroom. Uh, so. And anyway, I'll remember one morning that we, we just did a lot of just worshiping and, and praying and studying the scriptures. And one morning we brought him uh, in, the, in the middle and we all just kind of spent some time praying over him. And uh, he has such a ministry in Texas because not only is he a judge, but that opens so many doors because he, he, he'll sentence people and then he prays with them. <laughs> and he's invited into the hospitals for those who are, are like have mental issues and he, he has to sign off on things. And he talks about how he goes in there and he just prays with them. And, he, and, he, and in that circle, he said, I am still waiting for the time God brings one of them into the right mind, right there in the prayer. Not just for my benefit or their benefit, but for the whole hospital staff so they can see the power of God. And so we just spend some time praying by faith that one of these days there's gonna be a prayer prayed over those who are just mentally out of it. And in the midst of the prayer, the power of the Lord is going to give them sound mind. And my brother Steve is gonna be able to stand there in that hospital room and go, 
by the power of God, by the glory of God, this has happened. Amen. We serve a mighty God. The second thing it teaches us is our Lord's passion. He rejected no one who came to him here in this passage. He refused no one. However sick, however diseased, he had an ear to hear all, a hand to help all, and a heart to feel for all. There is no kindness like the kindness of our Lord. His compassion fails not, church. The third thing is we see the Lord's purpose. No bodily disease proved incurable to Jesus here. He is also mighty to cure every ailment of the soul. There is no broken heart that he cannot heal. There is no wound of conscience that he cannot cure. Fallen, crushed, bruised, and plague-stricken as well. We all are by sin. Jesus, by his blood and spirit, can make us whole. And let me tell you why spiritual healing is better than physical healing. Because everybody healed in this passage still died. None of them are walking around today going, let me tell you about this time that Jesus showed up at town and my, my, my aunt talked me into going and I didn't know who Jesus was and I went and they had to carry me. I couldn't even walk and I left walking because of, there's nobody today testifying of that from this passage because they all eventually physically died. But spiritually healing means this, that we get to live forever, forever, that we will never die and we get to be forever in the presence of our Lord. And the fourth thing I want us to notice here is the people's response. Miracles draw a crowd. <laughs> People, that's why, hey, oh man, another rambling moment. I try to stay on my notes because if I don't, this could get long. This is why it's so tempting. This is why there's so many pastors out there today faking things. This is why you can turn on TBN and you can see some moron shake his coat and knock the entire congregation over because that sells and it draws a crowd. You see, when you preach the gospel, sometimes the crowd dwindles. Don't look at me, look at Jesus. Jesus even preached in John and like everybody gets up and walks out. <laughs> he goes, he even asked his disciples, are you gonna go with them? And Peter goes, well, we would. We don't have anywhere else to go, you're it. <laughs> You're it. Miracles draw a crowd. People were curious and they wanted to press in to see and hear and maybe experience something unlike they had ever seen, heard, or experienced before. And don't take away from what I just said that there are no healings. God still heals today. He still does. Yeah, we pray. We pray for God to heal all the time. I'm just saying that we have to really be discerning because when, when we learn things that start drawing crowds, we're tempted to draw crowds. And then what Jesus does next catches my eye. In chapter five, verse one and two, it says, one day he saw the crowds. They're not just gathering, but he begins, he begins to really see them gathering. And Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down. That's not what I would expect Jesus to do when he sees the crowds, but he kind of just kind of isolates himself and he sits down on the mountain and his disciples, they gather around them. In verse two, it says, and he begins to teach them. And there's where I want to kind of just stop for the day. 
because there's two things in this passage that I want to draw out, two things that kind of help us form our big idea of this text. And I think the overarching idea from this text as Jesus begins his ministry is this, that redeeming humanity is God's ultimate mission. And perhaps the head scratcher in all of that is God's plan is to use humans to help in the redemption of humanity. Does that not baffle you? God's mission is the redemption of humanity and God chooses to use humans to be a part of the mission in redeeming humanity. I've said it before, I'd, I would have picked a different plan. Oh. The mission of redeeming humanity is God's mission, but his method is us. We see that starting in verse 18. Jesus walking along the shore. He sees Peter and Andrew. They're fishing. Jesus calls out to them, come, follow me. I'm gonna make you fish, fishermen of men. And they left their nets at once and they followed him. They go on down and there they see James and John and they're sitting in their boat with their father and Jesus gives the same invitation and they leave their nets and their father to, to begin following Jesus. It's not a coincidence that as Jesus starts his earthly ministry, he starts inviting men to follow follow him. Why? To model before them, to teach them, to equip and empower them, to be what God created them to be, disciples, followers, but not just disciples, disciples that make disciples. Let me show you. The Great Commission, you know it well. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Why? Why does that matter? Because the authority I have, I'm about to give to you and I want you to go and what? Okay, you my disciples, I want you as you are going to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then we know this from our study in Acts, Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus says again to his disciples, you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're going to be my witnesses to do what? To tell people about me everywhere. 2 Corinthians 5, this is always our go-to passages, right? Paul says, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us, who? God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciled the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us, he gave who? the wonderful message of reconciliation. So we have the ministry and the message of reconciliation according to Paul here. So we are Christ's ambassadors. We're his representatives. God is making his appeal to the world through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. And this speaks directly into one of our kingdom expressions here at Journey. We have seven. 
One of those expressions is found here, and here it is. Found people find people. Yeah, they're, they're really deep. Uh, loved people love people. Served people serve people. Comforted people comfort people. Forgiven people forgive people. But here we find found people find people. We are wired to tell people about the treasures that we discover. Come on, somebody in this room probably walked in here today telling somebody about a great experience they had this week or a bad experience. We're wired both ways, (laughs) right? We have a great experience and we can't wait to give it a five-star review. We purchase a great product and we can't wait to tell everybody they need to try that product. We enjoy a great meal. We can't even finish the meal before we take a picture of it and post it on social media. Guilty. A a few months ago, um, Andy and I got the privilege of getting to go hang out with uh, Mike and Lisa in Kansas City for a few days. And the best part about the trip wasn't even Kansas City. We hadn't even got out of St. Louis yet. They're like, hey, you want to stop for lunch? Yeah, let's stop for lunch. So we stopped in Chesterfield at this restaurant that I had never been to. And I ordered the, fi- the most amazing fish tacos I've ever had in my life. I have not stopped talking about, I've, been, I've stopped talking about the Winkelmans <laughs> and the trip. I have not stopped talking about the fish tacos. Everybody needs to go try the fish tacos because everybody deserves this deliciousness in their mouth. In fact, I can't wait to go back and try it again. And listen, it's the same with our walk with Christ. If we really, if, if he really is the treasure, we will want to share him with others. There is no doubt in my mind that if the church is less evangelistic today than it's ever been, it's because we have lost Christ as our treasure and we have left our first love. We cannot give away what we don't possess. And so I wanna talk about two things this morning that jump out. Two things from our text that Jesus becomes aware of that I think we need to be aware of. Number one is this. Jesus is aware of the greatness or the weightiness of the mission being too much for one person to bear. So he invites us to join him. You see that in verses 18 through 22. The mission is God's, his method is us, and we see that in his invitation, specifically the invitation itself in verse 19. We see that the invitation is relational, come unto me. Jesus is inviting us into him. The invitation is intentional. There's a reason why he's inviting us in, so he can make us. Like he has a plan, he's, he, he wants to do a work in us and it's also missional because he says, I will make you fishers of men. Jesus constantly invites us to come and see and taste of his goodness, but his invite is intentional. His plan is to make us more and more into the image of his son, Jesus, and fill us with his passion for people to love them too much to remain silent of their lostness. One of my favorite quotes, and I use it every time I get an opportunity here, and so is the opportunity. It's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Once my office is done, it's going on the wall. Here's what Charles said. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, 
Let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. I love it. Jesus making fishers of men here in this context is the same as him making servant missionaries of us. That's our language today. It's the same thing. When Jesus is seeing Peter and James and John out there and they're all just, they're fishing. He goes, hey, come on. There's bigger, I got bigger plans. You're not just gonna fish for fish. You're going to fish for people. And it's the same for us. We've talked about this. Come on. He's not just calling us to be teachers and factory workers and Walmart workers and everything. He's calling us to be servant missionaries wherever he has us. That's our mission field. It's who we are in Christ. It's what we're baptized into. Everything we do is to be done as followers of Jesus, whether we eat, drink, fish, work, play, and it's all for his glory. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So the mission is great. It's too great for one person. But so is the need. This is my second thing that we're aware of. We see it in chapter five, verses one and two. Jesus is aware of the crowd. And listen, Jesus is gonna spend the rest of Matthew addressing the crowd. But before he does, this is, he's aware of the crowd, but before he engages the crowd, he retreats to the mountain And he gathers his disciples and he begins teaching them what we know today as the Sermon on the Mount. It's the next three chapters of Matthew that we'll study, five, six, and seven. Jesus was probably thinking a little bit about John 14 here, John 14, 12. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. But before he goes to be with the father, he invests three years in his disciples, teaching them and modeling before them and correcting them and empowering them and sending them to continue what he started doing as he was doing. And the reason their works would be greater than Jesus's is because their numbers would be greater. It's the same principle that our work collectively will be greater this week than any one individual because we can reach more and we can tell more people of the good news together than we can by ourselves. There's only so many I can reach. But if each one of us is reaching, by the end of the week, there's a vast crowd of people that have been touched by the work of Jesus. Jesus says, you're going to do greater works because I am going to the Father and I am sending my spirit and Pentecost is coming. The empowered movement of God through the church is coming and it's going to spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth and it will be unstoppable. And that's why we're here today. Because of the greater works of the disciples empowered by the spirit of God. This text is good news for journey this morning because it reminds us of the mission. The mission is and will always be disciples making disciples. And we are invited to be a part of that as God's appeal to the world. Jesus has called us. And it's good for us to kind of spend some time revisiting every now and then because, and recentering our lives around the mission because we can get distracted. We're easily distracted, right? 
And so Jesus calls us to continue his great work. It's why we have built our entire church around the principle of John 13, 15, because the mission of the church is to continue doing what Jesus was doing. In John chapter 13, verse 15, this is our church life verse. This is kind of the foundational thing that, that just keeps us going, that keeps us focused. Jesus says, I have given you an example to follow. And then what he says next, we've kind of just tagged as the gospel rule. Do as I have done to you. That is the gospel rule that we are submitting our lives to as a local body of Christ. We are going to do for others as Jesus has done for us. And if you are newer to journey, just be warned. We talk about this on an almost weekly basis. There's never a conversation when I'm out and people go, tell me a little bit about your church. Well, we're a church of followers of Jesus just trying to learn to do for you, do for others as he has done for us. That's just what we tell people. Who is Jesus and what he has done for us leads us to worship him. And from the overflow of our worship, we go in a in obedience and do for them, do for others as he has done for us. Man, I would like to just... I probably need to preach another sermon on that. It's been a while, but I love it. And, and, and here's the rule of thumb. I always say this when I preach on the, the gospel rule. If Jesus hasn't done it for you, you don't have to do it for anybody else. And if Jesus stops doing it for you, you can stop doing it for everybody else. But until then, we do for others as Christ has done for us. And we have committed to giving the rest of our lives to practicing one anothering, one another. But we must start here because we have been found. We have been rescued. We have been saved from ourselves and ultimately from God's wrath. So now we find others to be rescued and saved. In closing, I want to say this. We need to take just a moment here to reflect on how good we're doing this as a church. Anytime we come across a passage and we're reminded that Jesus calls us to be disciples and make disciples, it's good for us to just stop and say, hey, let's grade ourselves here. How are we doing in this? As we are going, are we telling others of our great treasure in Christ are we intentional about sharing the good news of Jesus within our circles of influence? Who has a better glimpse of Jesus today because of your life this week? This isn't really optional as a Christian, but somewhere along the way, we have attempted to make it optional. I'll take everything but the discipleship, please. I'll take everything but the making becoming a fisherman of man or woman. True biblical disciples make disciples. So who are you inviting to come and see and taste the goodness of Jesus through your life? Last Sunday night, I met with the teens in this room and I challenged them. I had every one of them take a row. Everybody just take a seat in different rows and that's your row. And I, wanted, I asked them to start brainstorming about some of their friends that they could start bringing to fill out that row. And then we just dreamed a little bit about what this room could look like as we start to fill out that row with teenagers. 
And we get to teach and preach and sing and rejoice and drink coffee and smoothies in the name of Jesus together. And so I want to do something similar here because until we name names, I'm not certain that it's not more than just an idea. Good idea, maybe, but it's just an idea in our head until we start putting faces and names to it. And so I'm going to challenge you that we need to identify our circle of influence, our circle of friends. We need to sit down this week and start writing down two or three people or two or three couples that don't know Jesus. Good people. They just don't know Jesus. And we need to start praying more intentional about our relationship with them. And then we need to invite them to come and see Jesus through either your church. That's the easiest way. That's the non, I'll let my pastor offend them, not me. Like just come and see what Jesus is doing. Come with me to church or come, to me to, come with me to an activity or, or maybe it's not to church. Maybe you're gonna invite them to come and see Jesus through a meal in your home, through some good fellowship and some good food or, or maybe just in your everyday life and the way that you function, you're gonna invite them to come and see Jesus through, through your life, life on life. Because found people Find people. We do that because we are called to do as Jesus has done. And this text reminds us he's about finding people and rescuing people and discipling them and sending them. And then we get to enjoy the fruit of that. Bob, do we have children's church coming down? Okay. They better hurry. We get to enjoy the fruit of that because we get to watch God change lives. And then we get to celebrate those changed lives through baptism like we are going to experience today. Megan, come on up. You and Gunner and anybody else you want to invite up. And This is such a cool story. And here's why, here's why this is such a cool story to me. I want Megan, she shared this story when, when Gunner gave his heart to Jesus. I've always been a little, can, can I just be honest? I've always been a little weary of manipulation when it comes to salvation. You can ask my wife, you can ask anybody. That's why I've never just always gone to my kids. Don't you, don't you want to, don't you want to, don't you want to? Everybody else is doing it. Don't you want to, don't you want to? Because I feel like I was done that as a kid and I felt like it was a little, man, so-and-so got saved. He's going to heaven. Don't you want to go to heaven with him? Well, yeah, I don't want him getting something I don't get. Let's do this. Now, spent several years of my life going, I don't know if that was a true confession. So I'm we don't do the whole strings on the piano at the end and really draw on those heartstrings and emotions. And man, if we can get them, get that tear just right and get that right moment, we can, we can draw. I'm just, I'm weary of that. Nothing wrong with that, but I'm weary that, that it's just manipulated. That's why I love this story because it didn't happen at church. It didn't happen in a funeral home parking lot like my wife got saved. She's like, I ain't going in there where there's dead people without I knowing Jesus. As a kid, that's, that was her testimony. She goes, no, let's pray right now. <laughs> so she was saved before she even walked in the funeral. 
And, and, and so sure, those stories are correct, but Megan, just, uh, can you share real quick? We were listening to, oh, geez, there it is. Hello. You're good, you're good. Um, I'm a loud person anyway, so. Um, but anyway, so we were listening to the radio show that we always listen to in the morning, and they were talking about, um, one of the co-hosts was talking about how her uh, daughter was getting baptized. And Gunnar had just asked me, have I ever been baptized? And, you know, kind of explained to him what baptism was. And um, then I asked him, I said, well, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? Because that's the first step before baptism. And he said, oh, I do that every day. And I was like, well, okay. So then I said, well, when you get home from school later, we'll go ahead and we'll look through, you know, the Bible and go through. We went through the Romans Road or whatnot. And I asked him all of the questions, and he was like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And, you know, um, so anyways, it was really cool because I never in a million years thought that I was going to be the one to be able to lead, you know, one of my children to God. And uh, so we sat down in his room. We went through the Bible. And we were able to pray that prayer together. And he asked Jesus into his heart. And um, I will say that Gunnar has one of the most purest hearts that I've ever met a kid. Just being able to listen to him pray and the people he prays for. Um, I'm sure each and every one of you has probably been in it at some point because he prays for our church and he prays for uh, mostly homeless people and things like that. And so anyways, um, it was definitely an honor. And um, I am so thankful that... I've been able to have a son who came to it organically because, um, you know, I never wanted that decision for him to be forced or he felt like he had to make that decision. So when he came to it on his own, uh, it made my mama heart so happy. Yeah. Yep. Go ahead and get in. I'm thankful that uh, we had some adults back out of being baptized until next time, so I don't have to get in this morning. So you get to suffer through the coldness, Gunner. It feels warm. Okay, all right. Oh no, it's not. Turn around. Look at this beautiful crowd. They want to see you. We love Gunner, and here's the beautiful thing about baptism: we don't at Journey we don't baptize babies. Uh, we we only baptize when somebody has confessed Jesus as Lord, because we believe that baptism. Is just a, it's just a symbol of what's already taken place in Gunner's heart. You see, we talked to Gunner about this. And I love it because he, he said he understood it all. And I was like, man, this is the simplicity of the gospel. And yet it's so, it's so mind-boggling to me that, that as Gunner gets into the water this morning, it's representing the old Gunner. The old, would you like to tell some old Gunner? No, just kidding. And that in just a moment, we're going to pray and we're going to take Gunner underwater. And that's representing that he is identifying in the death of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus as he goes into the water, as Jesus went into the grave. And then he comes out. And that's why when he comes out, we all applaud and shout and scream because it's representing new life. It's down with the old, up with the new. And Gunner, here's the good news, buddy. You don't have to do this alone because you have not just a mama and a stepdad that loves you, and a whole family here that loves you, but you have a church family that loves you. And part of being baptized is that you're being baptized into the family of God. So you will never, ever, ever travel this road of faith alone. We're in this together. I gave him the option of two ways of being baptized this morning, and you're getting ready to see which option he picked. 
Father, we thank you for Gunner's life. God, I've got to watch Megan grow up from just a little, little girl that loved you to a woman who is passionately still in love with you. I'm so thankful that she is one of the ones that didn't choose to deconstruct her faith and walk away. And God, it hasn't always been easy. <laughs> Megan's had some struggles, and she, she prayed for Zach for many years. <laughs> and she saw these children that needed a home, and so she adopted them without ever knowing what her future was completely going to look like, but she knew that these kids were going to have a home that loved them. And I am convinced today that Gunner knows Jesus because of his mama's faith and his grandma's faith and his family's faith and some Sunday school teacher, children's church workers that have invested in him preaching the gospel week after week. And we get to bear the fruit of that in celebration today. So God, now we baptize Gunner in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go ahead, buddy. You want to jump? Yes, you can change your mind. <laughs> All right, let's go. Up with the new! Go to your mom to get you a towel. I love it. Can I change my mind? Nothing like a last minute change. Guys, make sure he's going to go change clothes, but if you're still here when he comes out, make sure you congratulate him. Such a big decision in his life. And hey, it's just a reminder of why we do what we do. Because disciples make disciples. And Gunnar is now a disciple. And so we get to start molding him and making him and equipping him as Jesus did with his original disciples and as Jesus is doing with us. Amen? Good way to end the service? All right. Hey, pray for the Chapmans this week. You'll hear information when it comes out. Midweek on Wednesday night, unless it, because of the visitation, we decide to cancel it. Have a great day tomorrow if, if that's your thing. And, and so, um, listen, we celebrate love every day here as Christians, right? Not just one or two days a year. But uh, I pray that you have a blessed week this week. God bless you. Thanks, family, for being with us today. Have a great week.